0: If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 27 uh, through 36 this morning. So Luke chapter 6, looking at verses 27 uh, to 36. This is the Word of God. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, Do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. Expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I think this passage isn't really all that hard to understand. But it may be hard to live out. And so this morning, I'm going to take some time, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that the Lord will, well, more than just helping us understand the, the import and the significance of His Word, as important as that is, of course, that the Lord will enable us to live out what He's instructed. Uh, here, that's what's really needed. I just want to uh, mention a couple things before I pray. Uh, in terms of information, one is is very exciting, and that is that uh, on April third uh, we have we have that uh, meeting, which actually is exciting. And we need to we need to recognize that uh, business meetings when there are significant issues to discuss, that is part of how we worship God as a church. It's seeking the Lord's direction, it's seeking His Spirit, it's seeking how we can best serve and honor Him in this world. So our, when we get together and we discuss things and when there's, you know, votes on issues, it's not just, that's not separate from serving and honoring and worshiping God. And it's not separate from our fellowship and life together as a family. And so that we need to have that mentality. So we should thank God. ...that we have the opportunity to have these discussions together in a way which is pleasing and honoring to him. And please be in prayer for that meeting, that the outcome will be what God desires, uh, regardless of what that happens to be. But even more exciting to me is that on April 3rd, uh, we're going to have a baptism uh, here at the church. Uh, There's a young lady who, in the fall, uh, through uh, the Witness of Power to Change, uh, University of Guelph here, has come to put her faith in Jesus... And so we're going to be baptizing her on April 3rd. And if that <laughs> is good, it is a good thing. It really is, right? It's exciting and it's okay to be happy. <laughs> it's okay to be happy when the Lord is still at work. And so what I would say is that if there's anyone else who knows the Lord, whose faith is in Jesus, but if you haven't been baptized and you'd like to be baptized or you'd even like to just know a little bit more about what it is and why we do that, please come and talk to me. We'd be more than happy to to baptize anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now uh, personally, I know that some of you uh, pray for me and I appreciate that very much, I, a couple things that if you can remember me in your prayers over the next week or so, I'd appreciate. Uh, as you know, if you've been here consistently, in the fall and then in January, I had the opportunity to go to York University and uh, participate in uh, Christian-Muslim dialogues and with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And the Amadea Muslim scholar that they bring in is Imam Farhan Iqbal from Toronto. And one of the things that's desperately important that we need to do is we need to establish friendships and relationships with people, not just debate and dialogue in those sorts of formal settings. So uh, Tuesday, I'm scheduled to have uh, dinner with him in Toronto. So if you could be in prayer for that, uh, that I'll be able to represent uh, the gospel and the Lord well. There's not going to be an audience. It's just going to be him and I. And we're not getting together to debate, but we're getting together to discuss and look at potential projects in the future. And so I just I just really want to represent Jesus well uh, in that situation. And so if you could pray uh, for that, I would appreciate it. I'm also going to be taking a little bit of time off. I won't be here next Sunday. Uh, this week, I believe Wednesday, I can't keep my schedule straight sometimes. I think Wednesday uh, I'm leaving to go to South Carolina, which is an... Enormous hardship this time of year. Uh, there's there's a, an academic conference down there. It's a joint meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society and the Evangelical Philosophical Society. And uh, so I'm going down, I'm going to present a paper on biblical theology and the problem of evil, trying to show that we can, that God has already given us what we need in Scripture to respond to the problem of evil, and that uh, if we know our Bibles well as Philosophers, we should be able to, uh, tie philosophical arguments to biblical texts. That's what I'm gonna be arguing. Uh, the, the plenary speaker is a Christian philosopher named Paul Copan, who's well known, uh, in philosophical circles. So I'm looking forward to, to learning something, uh, down there as well. So you can just pray for, for me this week with Farhand and then, uh, traveling down there and trying to, trying to do some good and trying to learn as well. Alright, well let's pray. Our Father, you are you are a great God, and you are transcended in glory, you are high above us, you know all things, You you rule on the throne of heaven, you are high above the earth. And Father, we ask that you will help us to know who you really are, and that we will be empowered by your Spirit to live in this world in a way which is pleasing and honoring to you. Uh, Father, we ask that your name will be recognized as holy, that the world will come to see your glory, uh, that your kingdom will continue to grow in this world, and that many people will come to know you. Our Father, we ask that you will give us the grace to submit our lives and wills to yours, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray that you will make us into a, a community of people here in this church who love you and who love each other. I pray that you will work to give us not just, not just social times around coffee, but I pray that you will give us real rich and lasting fellowship. Fellowship based on regeneration and renewal. Fellowship based on your glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will move powerfully in our midst as a congregation and bring renewal. I pray that you will get a hold of our hearts, for real, to really get a hold of our hearts, so that we live for you. And Lord, I pray that you will also, in doing that, you will make us a place that really does stand as a light, a light uh, that shines with your light, a light that represents the great light. And, And Father, these are things that you can do by your Spirit. And so we ask that you will do this. We ask that if there is any sin, in our hearts that impedes your work here that we are unwilling to confess i pray that you will bring it to mind and i pray that that you will also give us the heart change needed to even repent of our sin in the first place uh, that you will get, so grip us by your glory and holiness that we will hate our own sin and that we will also see that you've provided in your grace and love you've provided the solution for it through your son jesus and that you love us more than we can imagine Father, I just pray that you will make the gospel real to us. We know that it is real. Help us to see it. Help us to be transformed by it. And then empower us to live out in this world the entailments of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So that many people in this city and around the world will be brought to know you through him. By the power of the Holy Spirit and your word. Lord, we can be so much more than we are, and we pray that you will form us into that. That you will keep planting us, planting our feet on higher ground as we progress in the image of Jesus. Thank you for salvation; it is the greatest of all gifts. Now I pray that you will open your Word and help us to live it out. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure although I can probably imagine that yesterday and a couple days before the last half of this week, how many of you uh, noticed that the weather was really nice <laughs> and was anyone aware of that you know, that it was really sunny and it was beautiful and you feel better when it's like that. You you really do. I mean, it's it's just a wonderful thing. And and it's worth noting, you know, that, that we are physical beings. We are corporeal, and so uh, we're affected by things like sunshine and proper nutrition. And, and although it might not be the best morning to say this, proper sleep. You know, we're we're affected by all of those kinds of things. And so when the sun shines. After a long, of course this was a pretty short and mild winter, but you understand what I'm saying. It's just, it's just wonderful to have a day like that. And it's a blessing from God. And we need to always remember that whatever the weather network says, and yes, you know, there are there are weather patterns which apparently no one on earth can actually read, or the forecast would be a lot more accurate. Uh you know, there are weather patterns, there are there are scientific analyses that we can have of all of these things, and we can predict with some accuracy what it's gonna be like. Like August is likely to be hotter than January, and you know, we have that level of precision. Uh but you know, we need to recognize that God is the one who through through physical means and natural law god is still the one who according to the bible sends the snow and sends the rain and leads the sun forth and i realize that's a metaphor in psalm 19 but god is the one who orders the stars and calls them out by name he is the god who controls the weather and so when it's uh, when the sun is shining and we feel good that is a blessing From God, and I trust that many of you thanked God in sincerity of heart for the blessing of the weather the last couple days. But if you're being thoughtful, you also have to realize that that sun bestowed the same amount of warmth and comfort on Christians as it did on Muslims as it did on atheists. That sunshiny weather the last couple days, that same warmth and not quite the same beauty, because there's a beauty that only the eyes of faith can see in all things. But that sun with its warmth still shone down on pedophiles and people who have committed murder. And people who are fine, upstanding citizens, who simply have no need for God in their arrogance and in their self-centeredness. God is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. And if you took all of the blessings that God pours out in terms of weather, in terms of water, in terms of, you know, finances, in terms of health, in terms of laughter, if you just, if you just try to imagine all of the blessings that God has poured out throughout all of human history, on all of the people, whether they they acknowledged Him or not, it's a staggering thing. God causes his Son to shine on those who hate him as much as he causes his Son to shine on those who love him. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's natural for him to conclude by saying, this is what God does. God showers blessings on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is kind to the wicked and... And notice this, and this is one of the fascinating things to me, actually, because I, I, one of the things that I hate is I hate ingratitude. It drives me nuts. I, I just can't stand when people are ungrateful. And here Jesus says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And make no mistake, the vast majority of people, I take no pleasure in saying this, but the vast majority of people in our city yesterday were profoundly and wickedly ungrateful for the blessing of God in terms of the weather. There's no acknowledgement of God in their lives. There's no interest in honoring God. There's no recognition that that these blessings are blessings of common grace, a, a gracious stance that God takes towards the world, where in common grace, he does not treat any of us, whether we're saved or not, as our sins actually deserve here and now. Every, every heartbeat and every breath of air in anyone's lungs in this world is more life and more bl- grace and more blessing than they deserve because the wages of sin is death. And so whatever moments we have in this world are moments of grace because of the kindness of God who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, and according to second Peter, the reason that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked and is patient with them is because his kindness is engineered to bring people to repentance and faith. It is his kindness he just sows these blessings so people will see how gracious he is to them, even in things like rain and sun and crops and, and happiness. All of these blessings come from the hand of God. And even in our society, we have a whole holiday which is ostensibly designed for us to give thanks. And who are you giving thanks to? You know, the, the, the mechanical atomic structure of the universe that just happened to accidentally come into existence for no reason and, and with matter in motion through time, it just happened to configure this way so that I'd enjoy... The rays of a ball of burning gas, a really long distance away. Like, like, who are you thankful to? You know, what are you? You know what you're thankful for, but to give thanks, you have to give thanks to something or someone. You don't give thanks to, you know, an impersonal force. You can only properly give thanks to a person. And, and Thanksgiving itself stands as a as a prophetic. Word in our society, you ought to be thankful and you ought to be grateful. But if you ought to be thankful and you ought to be grateful, that demands that there is someone who deserves to be thanked. Oh, but every year we make it about food and relationships and football rather than making it about God. But every year he gives us the harvest. And every year he gives us abundance. And every year he pours out blessing upon blessing into the world. So Jesus says, if we are going to be like God, if we're going to be children of the Most High, then we ourselves need to imitate this. We've received it, and so now we need to pass it on. We need to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now that means that there are going to be a lot of people who we are going to have to treat in ways other than which they treat us in the first place. We are not going to be able to treat other people in the same spirit that they have when they treat us. In other words, in the extreme, someone's going to say, well, if we're going to be kind to these people, well, what about the people who really hate us? What about our enemies? And so that's what Jesus addresses here. This section is about the profound heart of the love of God. And because of the heart of the Father's love, if we are His children, we need to cultivate that heart of love ourselves. Okay. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Now, I just want to stop right there because I don't know. I don't know how many enemies I have. I mean, presumably none, because I'm a great guy, right? So I would think I don't have any enemies, but. There's no one who's trying to you know burn down my house or at least not successfully if you're trying, you haven't done it yet you know there's there's no one slashing my tires and uh you know and if if you want to know what my vehicle looks like it's a it's a red toyota corolla and so uh you know the, that's the one to target if if you're looking for it in the parking lot um so I, I don't know if I have an enemy quite like this right. But this is the extreme, my goodness, I saw me, well how do I treat people who, who I just think in some small way have slighted me? I mean, before I even get to enemies, there's just so many times, there's just so many interactions that I have and, you know, and I I get my nose out of joy because someone didn't respect me the way I think they should have respected me or, or whatever. I, I don't even love people who aren't my enemies. That can't even put them in that category. They're not that bad. And I still struggle with this. But nevertheless, we're called to love our enemies. That means that there's no one on the spectrum that we're not called to love. And I think it's very easy for me to think, yeah, if there was someone who treated me really, 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 really horribly, I'd be able to love them. And Jesus says, well, Steve, that's great that you think that. But what about real life? What about the people that, that you interact with day in, day out? What about those people? How, how, how well do you treat them? And all of a sudden, before I, I claim that I can love my enemies, I need to do some work just in loving people who are actually pretty much my friends, right? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who who mistreat you. Four things. Love. Do good. Bless. Pray. It can almost be like, you know, this just has quite not quite the right connotation. It can almost be a you know a mantra. You can almost chant this, you know. Like a like a train getting started. You know? Love. Do good. Bless. Pray. Love. Do good. Bless pray. This is what we're called to. Now, notice that this is the exact opposite of how that person is treating you. Right down the pipe, you are doing exactly the opposite of what they are doing to you because God the Father does exactly the opposite to people in this world that they are doing to him. And so if we're going to imitate God, we have to be like this. We love, we bless, we pray, we do good. And just think about how much transformation there would be in every relationship that is possible if this is how we acted. Because my natural response is, as Jesus says, even sinners do this, my natural response is, if you're you're nice to me, then I'll be nice to you. And then I'll congratulate myself on being such a nice guy. You know, or if you do something good for me, then I might do something good for you, and then I congratulate myself on how generous I am. She says, the world does that. You are called to a higher standard. You are called to be children of God. You are called to imitate God. So if someone hates you, you do them good. And that's pretty limitless. You can be pretty creative. There's a lot of good things you can do. Someone, you know, hates you. You bless, or someone curses you, you bless them. You use your words to build them up before God. You ask God, you pray for them, you intercede for them. You ask that God pour out his blessings into their lives. In other words, all of these categories show you that no matter what anyone has done or said to you, you have their best interests at heart and you don't want them to suffer. You don't want to get back at them. You don't want your pound of flesh. You want God's grace for them, in the same way that you want it for yourself. I'm going to be honest. I I don't think I'm quite a perfect example of that. And so in working through this passage, one of the things that you know, I learn is not a surprise to me or to you. I learn that uh, I'm not quite as perfect as Jesus. So I need to make some progress. You know, I need to grow. I need to become more like Jesus. This is the standard. And and what allows me to do it is not me saying, okay, well, I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm I'm gonna make myself do it. Because what you can do, interestingly enough too, is you you can kind of do this. So if someone strikes you, as Jesus uses the illustration, you might be able to resist striking them back all the while nurturing hatred and malice and bitterness and a grudge in your heart. But we're not called not just to strike back, we're called to bless and love. It's a much higher standard. In some ways, it's very easy to be passive. It's very easy to take the blow. But to take the blow and to give blessing and love and goodness and kindness and mercy in return, that speaks of the heart. Not just what you do with your hand; it speaks of your heart attitude towards that person. And That is a, a remarkable standard that Jesus calls us to uphold: love, do good, bless, and pray. In the grammar of what Jesus says here, these these verbs are in the they're in the present tense, which means. It's continuous action, which means these people might keep hating you and cursing you and mistreating you, and you keep doing them good. You keep blessing them. You keep praying for them. You keep doing them good day after day after day after day. There's no statutes of limitations on this. So you can say, well, I tried being nice. You know, last time, you know, they were, they were kind of, Picking a fight with me, and I, I took the high road. You know, and already I'm I'm tipping into spiritual arrogance, even when I make that assessment. I took the high road. I did the right thing. Well, they they do that tomorrow, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in their place. You know, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take some names. I'm not gonna put up with this forever. You know, someone needs to teach them a lesson. And and as much as I wish it wasn't me, I guess I'll be the one who does it. No, it's, it's continuous tense. Love continually. Do good continually. Bless continually. Pray continually. You never get to the place where you can say, I fulfilled that. I did it. I did my duty. I've fulfilled my responsibility. Now it's a different story. Until the day of your death, this is how you are to treat your enemies. If someone slaps you on one cheek, verse 29, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So in the face of assault or coercion or the demands of people, the great principle here is that, again, we do not respond in kind. We do not let people set the tone of the relationship. We set the tone. No matter what they do, we we refuse to respond in the same attitude if their attitude is sinful. We don't strike back. We don't go for revenge. We bless. We do what's good. Now, one of the things I, I want to say, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but we do need to be careful that we differentiate uh, you know, helping and doing good from enabling and perpetuating injustice. So, we must always help people. We must always do good to other people. But there are times when the worst thing you can do, if you really want to help someone, is just bail them out so that they don't experience the consequences of their actions. So, so sometimes, you know, we, we help people, and sometimes people will come and say, oh, you know, I and you can think perhaps of—you can think of your own scenario— Right, but but you can think of someone who, who routinely racks up, you know, gambling debts that they can't pay back, and and so you know their, their friends or family will they'll they'll bail them out, and, and it's okay. You learn a lesson, right? And then but, but then six months later it's the same story, and and then the next year it's the same story, and you get to a point where you're saying, you know what, I love you. But helping you now isn't bailing you out. Helping you is choosing to allow you to experience the consequences which are painful of your decisions. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. You need to learn. You need to change. And the book of Proverbs says, Do not rescue a violent man. If you rescue him once, you will have to do it again. And so the temptation, though, let's be honest, is for us to delight in people getting those consequences. You've made your bed, now you can lie in it. And we kind of enjoy the fact that this person who has inflicted so much pain or suffering on us, now they're getting a taste of their own medicine. And Jesus here says, no, 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 no. You you must not have that hard attitude. You, you must not delight when people are suffering, even when they're suffering the due consequences of their own behavior. You long to do them good. You long to see God's best in their life, and you're always positioned not to strike back, but to help and give a helping hand in any way possible. As Jesus goes on, uh, to say that if you only love those who love you, or do good to those who do good to you, or or lend to those who will pay you back, you know that, that's just what sinners do. I'm going to be very careful here because what Jesus means when he uses the word sinners, the sinners is kind of a loaded term, and what he means is that there are people in you know in his context who identified a group of people as the really big sinners, the sinners. You know, so one of the things the Pharisees can say is this guy eats with sinners. And tax collectors, you know, it's this egregious group of people, or people rather, have committed sort of egregious, flagrant sins. Jesus says, even, in other words, there's there's even honor amongst thieves. You know, even even in a street gang. Jesus didn't say that, but this is my you know, my analogy. You know, sociologists will tell you that that one of the things that keeps young men in street gangs is fatherlessness they don't have they don't have a positive father figure and they come gang members come from the i mean the overwhelming statistics are that the gang members come from fractured homes and they will say that the gang is their family it doesn't matter if if they have to go through initiation rites where you know they're severely beaten up to prove their toughness before being allowed in doesn't matter how many risks they need to run doesn't matter that you know their life expectancy is greatly curtailed you listen to interviews with gang members and they'll attest that this is the only place where they've been accepted this is the only place where they mattered and that's all perception, because they're being used, but you know, there's this perception of here's a community that I can belong to. And in that gang then, they have each other's back. They take care of each other. Even gang members will take care of members of their gang, but how do they treat people of other gangs? If you're kind to those who are kind to you, if you're nice to people who are in the church, That's not a higher level of morality than what you find in street gangs. We are called to love those who are not part of the church. I mean, maybe, maybe we could start by loving people in the church more than we do. Like, that might be a place to start. But if that's all we do, big deal. That's nothing. It's nothing that the world doesn't do. We are called to love our enemies. We are called to love those who are not like us. We are called to love those who are different. One of the marks of the spiritual health of a church is how welcoming they are to those people who don't just look like everyone else in the group. That's one of the ways you can tell. Where's the heart of this congregation is this is the heart of this congregation a heart that beats with love and mercy for everyone outside of these walls, or is it an in, is sort of an internally focused heart that says, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll love you if if you're like us, if you can come in here and and be kind to us and just like us, then you're accepted." It's the mentality of the street gang. You know, if you can come in and you can run with us and do what we do, then we'll accept you. And then those are the outsiders, and those are the people we go after. Jesus says, no, that, that absolutely, that cannot be when it comes to my followers. That cannot be. We are called to imitate God, the Father who loves us. And and this should be relatively obvious too, but not only does, does God bless us, but He has given us eternal life through his Son. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. You can't be blessed more than that. And make no mistake, when Jesus died on the cross, he only died for his enemies. He died for no one else because there was no one else. there was no one who was already naturally part of God's family. There was no one who was already God's friend. There was no one who has not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that includes Old Testament saints who were saved by their faith in God and in God's gracious provision, which then took place in time and space history with Jesus. But God sent his son into this world precisely because this world was filled with his enemies who hated him. That's the extent of his love. And so one of the marks of spiritual health is if we extend this love that we have received, not because we were worthy of it or or clean-cut enough to receive it, but we receive it precisely and only because God is just a God of love. And if I've received that, then really how is it possible for me not to extend that to the world? If God sent Jesus for me when I hated him, If God sent Jesus to die for the people who killed him, then what can people do to me which justifies me hating them or refusing to treat them with kindness? Well, I would love to be able to tell you the triumphant story of my own life where I've learned to love and all the rest, but I can't. So I'm going to share with you a story. That I was reading this week, biography. Um, I, I like reading uh, biographies. Actually, if I if I had no other responsibilities, I would simply read biographies every day, all day. Because what I find is, I can live my I can live my Christian life vicariously, vicariously through people who do a better job of it. <laughs> And so I can feel, because I approve of what they do, that I'm a lot better than I am. Kind of like, you know, watching a Rocky movie and thinking, like, I really train hard and can beat people up. You know, like, it's just like, it's this whole vicarious experience. And so the same thing comes over when it comes to Christianity. I, I read about these these people and I think, wow, oh, that's really great. Because I think it's great, I'm like that too. This is uh, a biography I read this week about a Korean pastor uh, named uh, Reverend... Uh, Sun Yang Wan. And I don't know much about Korean history, you know, to my, to my shame. But, uh, in the pre-World War II era, right to the end of the Second World War, sort from of 1910 to 1945, uh, Japan occupied Korea. And part of the Japanese occupation was trying to provide a homogenized culture. Sort of the, the imperialistic uh, hegemony of Japan. And part of this then became that you needed to, as a Korean, you needed to engage in uh, Shinto worship. Just a tip of the hat, just a ritual to show that you were sort of on board with the cultural and political and religious ethos. Didn't, Didn't mean anything. It was exactly what the Romans said in the first century, which released the Roman persecution on Christians. Just burn some incense to the Caesar. Call him a god. You don't need to mean it, but you need to do it to show that you're on our team. And if you don't, then we have lions and gladiators waiting. Besides the lions and gladiators, basically the same thing was happening in Korea. And so uh, Reverend Sun and his family uh, said, we're we're not going to compromise. We're not going to uh, engage in Shinto worship. A mob of people uh, attacked uh, two of his sons. And trying to get them to deny Jesus. And they were uh, beating them and kicking them. And some of the people in the mob had guns. And when they couldn't beat them enough to make them deny Jesus, they said, if you don't either engage in Shinto worship or unless you deny Jesus, we're going to kill you. And both of the sons said, "You can, you can kill us, but you can't take our faith in Jesus out of us. So do do what you will." And so, having been beaten and lying on the ground, uh, bleeding and bloodied and bruised, uh, they were shot to death for their faith in Jesus. The church was gathered because they were praying. So some of the persecution that was broken out and. Uh, Reverend Son found out about his sons uh, at a church meeting. And after being told the story of how they were willing to die for Jesus, this was what he said. He said, "'My beloved parents and brothers in Christ, "'I heard what Mr. Hong said just now. "'I most definitely believe that my two sons, "'Dong In and Dong Sin, have gone to heaven.' I'm also certain that, as in the words of Dong-In, those who killed my two sons will end up in hell. As a father, how can I let that happen? I go around places and evangelize because I fear that people would go to hell because of their unbelief. How then can I neglect those who killed my sons and remain impenitent? If they were foreigners, we would have the responsibility of saving them. But they are our brethren, aren't they? Killing and being killed by fellow Koreans are this race's wretchedness and this nation's great tragedy. There will be the violence of vengeance. Who would be left if people began killing their fellow countrymen for this and that? Therefore, send the message to Sun and tell Reverend Na Deong Han of Jui Church that while I don't care about others, if the individuals responsible for the murder of my sons get arrested... They should never be executed or even beaten. Tell him to inform the authorities that I will take it upon myself to share the gospel with them, make them repent, and adopt them as my son. That is loving your enemies, doing good, blessing, and praying. And that is just living out the gospel. Because we killed God's son. And God adopted us into his family. And so all this person is doing, all this person did, and and he did, he found the person who had pulled the trigger and killed his sons. And he told him, I forgive you. I believe God forgives you, but you now, my sons, were going to be evangelists. You need to do their life's work because you took their lives. And so the person became a believer, became a well-known pastor evangelist in Korea, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that happened because this person treated, Reverend Son treated the killer of his sons, the way his heavenly father treated the killer of his heavenly father's son. Love your enemies. Do good. Pray and bless. What a different world we would live in if we all faithfully lived out the gospel this way. Well, may God help us. I'm probably never in grace, facing a situation like that. But in all the little ways of life where we do have an opportunity to be kind to the ungrateful and wicked, may God help us by his Spirit applying the gospel to live that out, to imitate God, and to show this world the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and lead us in our closing song of worship.